The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so I, I'll talk for a little bit. And those of you who are out there finishing your cup of tea, you're welcome to come in when uh, you're finished with your tea, I guess. So, uh, so first, you can hear me okay? Just a little bit. Is, is the microphone in a weird place here? Does this feel a little bit better like this? There we go. Okay. So Uri mentioned that there are four foundations of mindfulness. You may ask four. Why do we need four? We just talked about the body. It seems like the body, you know, you can translate your emotions, your thoughts into the body. We don't need four. Or maybe you think, well, at the introduction to meditation that we teach here at IMC, we have the first week is breath, the second week is body, the third week is emotions, the fourth week is thinking. That must be four. Maybe those are the four foundations. But actually, there is, are different. The four foundations of mindfulness comes from uh, the tradition, this Buddhist tradition. And it's a little bit different than um, what we've been talking about for probably a few reasons. One is thousands of years ago in India when this was developed, they thought about their experience a little bit differently. And also, these are um, designed to really help us find freedom, to really help us find peace, ease, happiness. And one way to do that is to help us notice those things that we don't necessarily notice in our ordinary lives, in our ordinary experience or to help us um, see things that we can't see usually. For example, you may wear glasses. I wear glasses. These are my usual glasses that I you know, wear in my daily life. I also have sunglasses. You may have sunglasses that I wear out in the sun. Helps me to see things in that situation. I have my computer glasses that I wear when I'm sitting at my desk. It helps me see the computer and what I'm reading. And then when I'm just reading, I take my glasses off. It's just easier for me. So these are four different ways that help me in four different situations. Help me see things a little bit differently. Obviously, when I'm wearing my sunglasses, it doesn't help so much when I'm trying to read at the computer or something like that. So that's one way we can think of these four foundations. So Uri talked about the first foundation is mindfulness of the body. The second is mindfulness of feeling. But I like to use feeling tone because when we think of feeling, we so often think of emotions, which is very our common experience that we all have. But it's not emotions, and I'll explain what it is. So the second is feeling tone. The third is mindfulness of mind. Or it's also translated mindfulness of mental states. Uh, the Pali word is chitta. And then the fourth is mindfulness of dhammas, as Uri said. And there's lots of different translations of that um, mental objects or phenomena. I'll talk a little bit more about that. So you may ask, again, um, 
I, I said, so these will help us see things clearly and in different situations, but why do we want to see things? That's tied, as Uri uh, pointed out, in a number of different ways in his earlier talk to the last month's work of right effort. If we want to cultivate and maintain that which is wholesome and skillful, it helps us to see things clearly so that we can determine what is helpful, uh, skillful and wholesome so that we can see those things that are not unskillful, so, so that those things that are, are unskillful and those things that are unwholesome. So it helps us to um, really apply right effort and to find our way towards greater happiness and freedom. So feeling tone is the second foundation. And that this is the general flavor of a sensation. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? Neither pleasant or unpleasant. So it's the tone. It's the flavor of our experience. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So this is the... um, the, I don't even know exactly what it is. It's the what happens before we want to push it away or grab more of it. It's the beat that happens right after a sensation arises. That it's we have this uh, reaction to it, or maybe not a reaction. We have this awareness that it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And Joseph Goldstein, one of our uh, founders of this tradition in the West, he calls paying attention to feeling tone one of the master keys to freedom and liberation and uh, happiness and peace and ease. Maybe many of you are familiar with this um, story that gets uh, told in this tradition of the two arrows. And this is how um, this becomes a master key. The first arrow, we may, if we can imagine being um, somebody shooting an arrow and we get hit with it, it's painful, right? To uh, be pierced by a sharp object, right? Nobody is going to deny that. So that's the first arrow. In the Buddhist teachings, they talk about the second arrow. That is the arrow that we kind of like pick up and stab ourselves with after the first arrow. The first arrow is painful enough, but having a second one, right, is even more painful. So the first arrow may be that sensation of uh, painful. And the second arrow are like the ideas that we have about it, the reaction. This shouldn't be happening. Oh, poor me. This always happens to me. I'm always standing in the way of these arrows. Or I better go get that person. I hate these people that shoot arrows. You know, those types of things are the second arrow. I think we all have this experience, right? It's not just the second arrow. It's the third, the fourth, the fifth, the 227th, until we kind of wake up and realize, like, oh, we're just, like, perpetuating um, this thought pattern that really just started with something very simple, an unpleasant experience. And so if we can identify earlier in that whole chain of events, this is unpleasant if we can notice this is unpleasant, 
then there's the opportunity for there to be a little bit more space around that experience. And then we don't go rushing off into all these other arrows or into all these uh, proliferation of ideas and thoughts and concerns or something like this. The same is true with uh, pleasant arrows. Oh, finally, I want more of this. I deserve this. You know, and I need this. Or, you know, something that in itself isn't a problem, right? Having pleasant uh, sensations. As Uri said, it's only a problem if we think that's where happiness is. If we think that if accumulating as many pleasant sensations as possible is the way to happiness, then we're going to be disappointed. As we start to see that these pleasant sensations arise and pass away, right? It's the passing away part that's the problem with pleasant sensations. If we believe that that's where our happiness, our well-being, our peace and ease are, it's uncomfortable. We have a lot of grief when those pleasant sensations go away. And they will always go away. That's the nature of phenomenon. They arise, they're there for a while, and they pass away. I don't know when they will pass away. Maybe it's immediately. Maybe it's a long time. Maybe it's years. But they will always pass away. So if we are... um, investing in them to be the source of our happiness, the source of our ease, and it's not, it's limited. We're limiting ourselves. If we can only be comfortable, if we can only have ease when we're comfortable, then we're not really free. Because we're not always comfortable. Right? We get those, those arrows that are uncomfortable. Even just sitting in meditation, right? Or even sitting, listening to uh, talks here in whatever posture. You know, you have to shift your posture, right? It's not always um, the most pleasant. So not only is it um, one of these part of the master keys to freedom because it provides us a way to not go down the chain of thoughts after we have one of these sensations, but also pleasant sensations, it's just part of the human experience is the habit of going towards, uh, it conditions desire. Pleasant sensations, condition desire, condition craving, Those of you who have been paying attention to the Four Noble Truths know what I'm going to say next. Craving and desire condition suffering. So if we can be aware of the pleasant sensation, not only do we stop the proliferation of thoughts, we can stop this chain towards suffering and stop the um, feeding the habit. A habit is always doing something over and over again. So then we can get to where it is possible to have a pleasant sensation that doesn't lead to more desire. Same with unpleasant sensations. They can feed the habit or um, cause the habit that leads to aversion, kind of the pushing away. And it is possible to be with unpleasant sensations and not immediately push them away. We talked about this a little bit, just saying, oh, here's anxiety. Here's, this is what it is, and just to be with it. 
with a certain amount of equanimity or ease with it. And neutral, not pleasant or not unpleasant sensations, they often fuel the habit of delusion, of not really paying attention, not really being with what is. This isn't a problem so much, but it's not the way towards freedom. It's not the way where we can learn to be equanimous or be present. So in this way, seeing things, the feeling tone, the second foundation of mindfulness, seeing whether something is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, can be part of this uh, pathway towards greater ease and happiness. So not only do our sensations have these three different flavors, but each one of them um, has a different aspect. So two aspects for each of these three. Three times two equals six. So there are six things here. And often this, um, these two aspects or two um, elements, I'm not sure how, what the word is, how to describe it, often gets translated as worldly or unworldly. I've also seen it like of the flesh, not of the flesh. On the path, not on the path. So what does this mean? I can give you an example. A pleasant sensation that arises from um, experiencing a soft touch. That's pleasant. It's, but it's a, uh, a sensa- it arises from a physical experience that we're having, something that comes in through our senses. I mean, a soft touch. As opposed to the pleasant sensation of generosity. It feels good to share with other people. So that's kind of the the generosity is the unworldly, and the uh, soft touch is worldly in this this, uh, kind of way of organizing our experiences. Those things that are... I feel kind of funny saying this world unworldly. I wish there were a better way to say it. But those things that are, those sensations that arise from unworldly, especially those pleasant sensations, this leads to greater and greater freedom. So I gave the example of generosity. Other examples, compassion, love, following the precepts, and this, in a way that it provides safety for other people. Other people feel safe around us when we are following the precepts. That's a good feeling. Um, being concentrated, have the mind still. Whatever kind of stillness that we can have or that arises, that's also a pleasant sensation that's unworldly. As well as seeing things clearly. Even if what we're seeing may be not desirable, not what we wish, but sometimes there's a relief like, oh, this is the truth of what's happening. Just that kind of sense of relief, that's a pleasant uh, sensation as well. So this is the second foundation of mindfulness. It has these three flavors, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And these, each of these flavors has like two aspects, um, worldly and unworldly. And those that are unworldly, I focused on the pleasant ones, the unworldly pleasant ones are definitely lead us to more, greater and greater freedom. And all of us have this experience that which we pay attention to grows. 
Which, um, and that's part of right effort, right, is to cultivate and maintain. So recognizing those things that are on the path, paying attention to them, really supports us in our practice and finding more freedom. So the third foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of mind, citta. This often is um, also called mindful, um, I'm sorry, mental states. And this is less about particular thoughts that we're having, because thoughts are fleeting, right? If you've ever looked at your thoughts, you can see how they're sometimes a mile a minute, right? Or maybe they're just repetitious over and over. Mindfulness of mind is more about a mood, an attitude, kind of like a tenor in the mind, something that's a little of longer duration than just a thought. So an example can be, we can notice like the mood of our mind is being contracted or expanded, Do we feel kind of tight in our mind, like we just have a little obsessive quality? Or is it a little more expanded, where the thoughts are a little bit more relaxed and maybe more wispy coming and going? Is the mood more distracted or steady? Do we have like a rapidity of, of thoughts or bouncing off of things? Or are we able to land on our thoughts? Those can be some moods as well. Do we have a mood of being lustful or equanimous? Like, do we just have this feeling of, oh, I just want something, want something different than what's happening now? I'm kind of leaning in. Notice how I did this with my body. This is how I experience lust. It's kind of like you know, really leaning forward. Or are we more equanimous, more upright, and allowing things to arise, however they're arising? It can be a different mood or a different attitude of the mind. Another one can be angry. Do we have um, ill will? Do we have anger? Or do we have love? Or do we have uh, care in our minds? So these are just some of the examples of attitudes, general uh, feelings in our minds. And because these are amorphous, generalized words, or it's easy not to see them clearly. It's easy to not see a mood clearly, especially if we're used to focusing on something very particular, like the sensations of the abdomen moving, for example. We may miss these kind of amorphous moods. That's only That may affect us because it's like um, those are... Uh, filters in which we see the world or interpret the world or experience the world. If we have in a general mood of anger, you know, we're going to have a different experience to that person who is too busy texting while they're at the stoplight so that they don't go. Maybe we're more apt, apt to hit the horn to those people than if we have a mood of equanimity or a mood of loving. Maybe we'll just say, Okay, we'll just let this person notice that all the other cars are moving and they haven't yet. So it helps us to pay attention to this because it influences how we interpret things. It influences what we do. It influences how we react. It influences um, our our uh, 
projections that we may have. So it's useful to look at these moods, these attitudes. That's the third foundation of mindfulness. It's called the mindfulness of mind. For those of you who have um, been working with Andrea Fella, she um, often teaches and emphasizes this third foundation, mindfulness of mind. And one way that um, that work is done is not only to see the mood, but also to notice the underlying, they use this word defilement, the underlying, mm, the probably word is klesha. I kind of like that word better. It sounds softer, klesha. And there are three um, basic ones, greed, hatred, and delusion. And these greed, hatred, and delusion, those are the underlying roots that are giving rise to these different moods. And so if we have a mood, we can then say, oh, okay, there's just a little bit of greed um, acting here. And then then if we can pay attention to it, maybe it can have a little bit less power. It can be um, a little bit less influential in the way that we see things. (coughs) And then the last foundation is mindfulness of dhammas. Dharmas, sort of the same word, Sanskrit and Pali. And dharma is a big word; has lots of meanings, right? It's lots of different teachers. We gets it gets used in Pali in so many different ways, and that's why in English we use it in different ways. Um, some people translate this as mindfulness of mental objects, and some people translate it as mindfulness of phenomena. And some people just say mindfulness of dhammas. And I'll say um, just briefly a few things. With a word like dharmas, you can imagine this is a big category. There's lots of things in here. But I'm going to focus on two that are in here. And these are um, specific teachings that um, we all have probably have heard dharma talks that talk about some of these. And... Um, I'm going to focus on the five hindrances and the seven factors of awakening. These are two different sets of dharmas that are in mindfulness of dharmas. And I'm choosing these two because in general, like a big, broad generalization, mindfulness of dharmas could be like, is this leading me to more freedom or is this leading me to less freedom? More freedom, less freedom. And then there's very particular ones, very particular lists, let's say, that help point that out. Five hindrances. As the name suggests, there's five things that obstruct our path. Greed, ill will, lethargy, restlessness, doubt. Five hindrances. Sometimes it's very helpful just to pay attention, to be on the lookout for these. They often arise in our meditation practice and are what prevent us from getting settled. Five hindrances. Seven factors of awakening, they often arise when the hindrances have abated. They just arise naturally, but we can also cultivate them. And these lead to greater freedom, support our practice as opposed to obstruct them. Mindfulness, investigation, effort, Joy, tranquility, concentration, equanimity. For those of you interested, you can come up to me afterwards and I can give those lists again. But the point is that it's, um, there's other um, 
other things for us to be pay attention to in our meditation practice and in our life, those things that are supporting our practice and not supporting our practice. And just like, you know, we can wear different glasses to see different things, we can use different these different foundations of mindfulness to help point out different parts of practice and to help uh, support our practice. Wow, that was a lot of information in just a few uh, minutes. Um, I'm going to end this part with saying if you're interested in this, because this is a kind of a foundational part of, you know, we're the Insight Meditation Center, right? So we're keen on mindfulness here. There's um, a number of resources I can point you towards. Joseph Goldstein just recently published a book called Mindfulness, which is excellent. I think it's really good. He wrote that book based on Dharma talks that he gave. So they have a Dharma talk uh, flavor to them. And he gave these Dharma talks after reading this other book called uh, Satipatthana, The Direct Path. Direct Path to Realization or... It's something like this, Satipatthana, written by Analio. A-N-A-L-A-Y-O. Analio's book, you can come up to me afterwards and I'll write these down, is a um, more of a scholarly treatment of it. Joseph read this scholarly book, gave Dharma talks, and wrote another book, um, Mindfulness. So let's talk about this a little bit in small groups. So I talked about these three foundations, but we can even do even a broader generalization and say that all these things I talked about, um, feeling tone, mental states, and mental objects, are things that are in the mind, as opposed to what we talked about earlier, things that are in the body. So let's again break up into groups of four people, and maybe you can meet with four people that you didn't um, meet with before. And we're going to do the same thing where you go around in a circle. Um, you know, one person say one thing and then go around, go around, go around. And this time, what wisdom have you learned to paying attention to your mind? So it doesn't have to be specifically the contents of your mind, though it can be, but like the, the way your mind works, the different moods of your mind, the different um, propensities you have in the mind. What kind of wisdom have you learned from just paying attention to the general thing that this we call mind? So if you'd like to do that, I'd like to get into groups of four about mindfulness of the body, about wisdom that you've learned. We'd love to hear from you guys. What, what, was, uh, what did you learn? Uh, what was that experience like? What would you like to share with the larger group? I'm not sure where's the yellow. Oh, there we go. Hi. Um, when you're talking for about uh, mindfulness, like the you know the first arrow goes in and then you shoot your own arrow in. Um, uh, we, we talked a lot in our group about uh, the habits, the way we something happens and we just get going on our own thing. And I, I felt like um, being part part of mindfulness is being very alert. Like if you're going, if you have the power of habits coming, and you got that first arrow, and you know you've got your second arrow ready, um, that you have to be really the part of mindfulness. At least some of the time is being very alert. Like you're you're ready. You know, okay, I'm going to shoot my second arrow. No, wait a sec. You know, you know what I mean? 
Like that, that it, I, I hear the word mindfulness like you're very aware, but it seems like sometimes you have to be a little peppy or something, you know? <laughs> Maybe you have to be a little bit peppy, but I would say also, kind of like how Uri pointed out in his talk, that after a while, you just don't want to put your hand on the hot stove. Mm-hmm. So part of it is being aware, and part of it is just a new habit of not going down that train of what happens mm-hmm. after you have a certain experience or sensation. There we go. Our group focused a lot on the on the arrow part too, and on the arrows that we shoot <laughs> in ourselves. And uh, we also focused on um, one of the members talked about uh, just categorizing it with pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, and that helping a lot. And the cl- uh, the sooner you can kind of nip the whole thought process in the bud, <laughs> the better. <laughs> and kind of like what Anne's saying to um, be aware that you're going down that path. So all those. Metaphors or stories you've told about the hut coal or the arrows or um, the trains, not gra- you know, jumping on that train, that all makes perfect sense. It's just hard, though, when you get caught up in the story and you're already on that train. <laughs> then, yeah. So. Yes, I agree. It's right. It's not a piece of cake to do this. But we're just building new habits, though. Every time, every single time we're mindful of something, it helps build the new habit. It's similar to, um, at least in my memory, you know, uh, generally it was more challenging to sit in the beginning when I first started meditating and to bring my mind back to my breathing. You know, it used to be, you know, Uri, you stupid fool, how come you can't keep your mind on your breathing? And now it's like, oh, yeah, the mind wandered. Oh, yeah, back to the breathing. And I think the same was true with mindfulness in any situation. The more we do it, the more, oh, yeah, uh, turn back, pay attention. Yeah. Our group had similar feelings about uh, getting, not getting caught when we see our uh, minds wandering into su- thoughts of suffering or thoughts of pleasure. But there seemed to be some also similar feelings about having, a, having an attachment to the drama of um, the, the mind that's pinging off suffering and, and cravings. So, yeah. Sure, that's sometimes like how we know that we're alive, right? Because we're in the middle of some big drama. <laughs> but then after a while, if you start paying attention to these big dramas, you start to feel more and more the uncomfortableness, the unsatisfactoriness in them, and they just naturally start becoming less attractive. This is that moment when I was going to... Thank you. What came up for me? Well, first of all, I liked the metaphors as well and got a lot out of those. Thank you. And one thought that came up um, as you're talking was um, many years ago, Gil told me, you know, I was describing some thoughts that I was struggling with and feelings and he's saying, well, you know, just label them either pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And I, you know, the concept just didn't stick at that time. And I, there was something, there was an investment of taking these thoughts and 
uh, making a story out of them, and then that story goes, and it's like taking all these arrows, uh, as you described. I mean, they were just poking them in at every direction I could. But it's once I realized that that's what I was doing, and I, and then you know, when a feeling comes up, it's just, you know, is it pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? And what a difference that's made, because the stories just don't don't happen, and been uh, a real real nice uh, change. And so that has been nice for you to not have the stories? Say again? That's been nice for you to not have the stories? Oh, it's been very nice. Yay, we have a success story here, right? What a waste of energy. (laughs) This practice works. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. We're going to expand. We're open to comments and sharing from what you just did and also to questions. And I want to um, invite, in addition to, to those of you who are comfortable, if anybody isn't generally comfortable asking questions or saying things and they you know, kind of would like to and are waiting for a safe place to do it, this is a safe place. So feel free if you're somebody who you know, isn't always comfortable but you'd like to. I just want to say that this space is here as well. Questions or, and we won't assume that's who you are if you ask a question or, <laughs> or make a comment. <laughs> well, no, I'm not usually very comfortable asking questions, but I'm getting a lot of practice. So, uh, well, you had mentioned something about um, unpleasant feelings and not responding to un- unpleasant feelings, letting them arise and pass. The depth of some people's feelings is, is immense when it comes to feelings of injustice. And I think that's the problem with most of the world. So how do you respond to feelings of injustice? And that's, that's a little harder to allow to rise and fall away than unpleasantness. Have have you felt that? And then, yes. what do you think about that? So, can you describe to me how does injustice feel? Injustice seems to um, the response to injustice is seems to be natural to f- feel vengeance, want vengeance, and which I know is a useless thing to do. But vengeance and anger and an uh, an effort to make it right. So you see this happening all over the world. And I don't know that it's that easy just to allow that to arise and fall away as we've hoped. It's a really painful experience. How can we teach people or show that in the world that that we are capable of overcoming feelings of injustice? But I'd like to take this further, if I may. So how do vengeance and anger and the feeling that we want to do something, how does that feel? It feels like um, control. I'm back in control. If, if uh, we can, if we get, if, if, if it, something were to happen to me and I got, got my vengeance and I, and I made things right, then I'm back in control of the way Life should be. 
So uh, I think, um, if I may, if you, is this okay that I ask you a little bit, that I engage with you at this a little bit? I, um, so you have, this, you have an idea that after you do vengeance or um, something that you'll feel in control, but what's the experience of wanting vengeance? What's the experience of being anger, angry? What's the experience of wanting to do something? the emotion is in my body here. So my body's telling me that something's hot and something is, um, something needs to change. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. So I would like to say that we can be with those things, like this physical sensation. Uri talked about this in his storm, uh, in the guided meditation, emotions, ideas. We can um, experience them in our body and pay attention to them. And then there can be a certain uh, more calmness or ease or spaciousness if we can be with those sensations in the body. And then there makes room for more wisdom, or the most wisdom, let's say that, makes room for the most wisdom to arise. And then we can respond to these injustices with all the wisdom we have. With, uh, with the best way that we can, if we can just be with the simple experience of wanting it to be different and thinking that it's wrong. Does this, does this make sense? Mm-hmm. So we're not saying, you know, that, and of course, I don't think anybody would say that injustices, just watch them arise and pass away. No, that's not what we're about. We're not about passively sitting here and just watching things. We are making the space for greater freedom greater peace, greater wisdom, greater ease. And this is how the world, I, this is my belief, that's how we make the world a better place, right? We start with here, and then we re, uh, respond to those things that we can and be in the world in a way that's wise. Oh, thank you. Following that question in response, um, um, just following the the question and response, um, how do you do that? Um, uh, it's a long way to be able to do that, um, but there are examples. There's Martin Luther King. There's Nelson Mandela. There's uh, Gandhi. There's others. There's a whole. You know, during the um, the bus rides, I forget the freedom rides. They went for training to um, n- not react. It was overwhelmingly um, uh, anger, but they didn't respond. One can learn that, um, over, but only over time and with practice. But I thought, uh, so this is a question in response to the question. I thought we were speaking of Vedna feelings that, in, in, that arise, positive, negative, neutral. And they're not emotions. Um, vengeance and anger and so forth are emotions. These come first, the feelings, and 
recognizing, so um, if I'm on the wrong track here, correct me, but being aware of our own first feeling of positive, negative, neutral, as opposed to anger comes later. It's down the line. Um, uh, it comes with attachment to that first feeling of positive or negative. Uh, or are we um, in different territory than that? So, Arthur, I'm not sure I understand your question. So, so your question is about... Um, well, what, what you presented... What you presented... So, whether we're... So, let's see if I understand. So, uh, things are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Vedana, this is feeling tone. But when I asked Rain about how did things... She talked about the feeling of injustice. And then I asked her, how does that feel? She used other words. And I wanted to get to something that's a little more concrete and a little more simple. And she expressed it as something that she was experiencing in her body. She could have said, it feels unpleasant. unpleasant, And we could have worked with it that way. Does that... uh, answer your question and also going on with what Rain was saying I think we just live in such a reactionary world that we feel that if something happens to us we have to react right away but if we just take that moment to breathe you know like we were discussing in our group not everything, and very rarely does everything need an immediate response. And, and I, I work in a classroom um, with emotionally disturbed children and who are very quick to react. And I'm trying to instill mindfulness in the classroom by, you know, when I sense them, you know, starting to react or blow out or whatever we call it, I, I, I just go right in their face. I'm like, breathe, mm-hmm. breathe. Just take three deep breaths. And by the third one, it, it works. By the third one, they're a little less reactionary. And it does take practice, and it does take time. And to teach something like mindfulness to the general population who doesn't even understand what mindfulness even means, you know, you have to practice it with yourself and give the little examples and take the baby steps before you can take the huge leaps of, you know, bringing world peace and, and making the whole community just a little more easier to live in. Great. Wow, that was deep. No. <laughs> no, I think it's beautiful. Do you want to say something? Yeah, and, and I, I, think, I think that's absolutely true. And I, I also think that um, the, the line between doing it for ourselves at first and then, you know, we feel a certain sense of self whatever, development, ease, uh, okayness, peace, you know, bring it out into the world, that line is very blurry. And it doesn't need to be clear. So sometimes the most profound lessons I've learned is watching somebody in a situation that I figured they'd be reactive, and they're not. And they're not biting their lip, and they're, they're just, yeah, okay. And I'm thinking, how come they're not reacting? And there's just this peacefulness, it's profound. You know, and they're not really trying to do anything. They're just being themselves. 
So sometimes just a little, you know, just uh, maybe another kid watching the kid breathe, you know, or just sometime we're out in the world and either we or somebody else just doesn't react. It's, it's you know, maybe they're not consciously bringing it out into the world, but they're bringing it out into the world. Uh, there's a, a teacher named Heather Martin, and at the end of retreat, she likes to say, you don't need to worry about how to bring what you've cultivated out into the world. We're not whole. She said, we leak. So just be who you are and you will leak. Yeah. I wanted to say two things. Uh, one was in class we were talking about uh, we were talking about uh, when people use like uh, racial slurs and anti-gay stuff and one person said, yeah, people call me names. And I tell them, but you don't know me. I thought that was a real non-responsive, I mean non-reactive way of responding to it. The other thing, um, uh, I don't know if it's exactly about justice. On Friday I went to the post office and um, there are a bunch of people waiting and we have these little numbers, you know, like a bakery where you're waiting. And someone came in and she was very upset uh, uh, a package that was supposed to come to her home wasn't there, and she'd called people, and there was a big mess. And she just got very upset, and there was one guy behind the counter, and he said, I have an ulcer, and if you don't stop, I've tried to tell you everything I can about how to help you. If you don't stop, I'm going into the back, and I'm not going to serve all these people here. And then the people, no, there was one woman who got really angry, and she got up and she started photographing. She started, stood in front of the woman, it was horrible, uh, who was trying to get the package, photographing, getting very angry. It was, I, it was very scary to me. I didn't know, you know, if it, if it went up high, if the temperature got hotter, if it could be dangerous. Meanwhile, the guy was back calling the police. And uh, to me, it's just a sense of balance. It seemed like there were a bunch of people on one side of the room who were all saying, go to the numbers, we want, we want our stuff. And then this one woman... So I just went and I stood next to her and I said, I just want to stand next to you. Is that okay? She said, okay. So I just stood there, you know, and I just looked at the, there's a bunch of those envelopes and boxes that you have at the post office. I just sort of looked at them and looked at the colors. And um, After a while, the police came and then things kind of got calmer after, then, then the woman who was screaming a lot, you know, bought her stamps and left. So that was good. Um, and then uh, I talked to the lady who was standing there, and I said, you know, I feel like things are a lot calmer now, and I feel okay about leaving. She said, yeah. She, I don't think I was protecting her. Um, she's, I said I was scared, you know, like when she started photographing you, and she said, hey, don't worry. <laughs> She's not going to do anything to me. <laughs> so I didn't feel like I was protecting her or fixing the situation. It was my own discomfort. Things were unbalanced, and I felt like just being someone next to this person. That's all. So I think sometimes it's just you feel discomfort, like it's unbalanced. I did ask the police to stay there longer, but then the woman left who was really yelling a lot, so then I didn't feel so un- so afraid. But I think something simple, I'm not interested in teaching mindfulness to anyone. I just want to do the things I want to do. That's all. Okay. So in the last um, minute or so of our time together, let's just uh, get grounded, settled, Feel our seat on the cushion or chair and our feet on the ground. Maybe 
pay attention to the breath. Wishing you all a wonderful day. Thank you.